0: Hello, and welcome back to Match Volume with Elle and Ella. We're your
1: hosts, Ella Katz and Elle Davidson. So this is a new year, a new season of Match Volume, a new semester. There is so much to be excited about. But before we get into anything, I think we need to introduce ourselves first.
0: So my name is Elle. I am one of the co-producers and co-hosts of Match Volume this semester, I'm 21 years old, living in Los Angeles, junior at USC, I'm studying English, and I'm studying journalism, and I'm so excited to get this podcast ball rolling.
1: I am Ella, I'm also a junior here at SC, studying journalism and minoring in the business of the entertainment industry. I'm super excited to have, hopefully, some meaningful and impactful conversations with Elle and with um, a bunch of guests that we're going to bring on this, this semester. So I'm stoked. So if anybody doesn't know...
0: Match volume is traditionally an interview based podcast. So this semester Ella and I are going to, you know, be our charismatic delightful <laughs> host selves and each week we are either going to interview a special guest or have one of our colleagues, um, fellow journalism students who are working on the podcast, um, they'll interview a special guest and we're gonna try to keep each of the interviews and like topics of the week focused on what we think college students and young adults would care about right now. So um, yeah, to- yeah. I mean,
1: totally totally. Ellen I can talk forever, but we, don't want to talk to talk. We want to talk about things you guys will hopefully care about and that will hopefully impact all of our listeners. So speaking of that, Elle, um, can you tell us a little bit about who is joining us for episode one of the podcast today? Yeah, so um, if anyone's watching this later,
0: Ella and I are actually recording this on January 20th, 2021, the day that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, were inaugurated. We have a Democratic White House, House, and Senate. So it's pretty crazy after these four years of Trump to be on the other side. So we're going to be talking inauguration and political insurrection with USC's associate professor at the Price School of Public Policy, Bill Rush. And Bill's pretty cool. He studied politics, and like what motivates politicians. So today we're going to be talking Gaga, Bernie, memes, poetry, and of course, contributing to productive political discourse like any good podcast.
1: Here's Bill Rush. Um. So thank you so much for being with us today, Bill. Thanks for having me mind, can you just start by saying your name, your pronouns, where you're talking to us from today, and maybe just briefly describe your professional background.
2: Sure. Um, My name is Bill Resch. I'm an associate professor at the Sol Price School of Public Policy at USC. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, and his. I uh, am the director of a new initiative at the Price School called the CLEAR Initiative, which stands for Civic Leadership, Education, and Research Initiative. I am the C.C. Crawford Professor of Performance and Management, and um, I study mostly uh, executive politics, and so I, I certainly study the U.S. presidency, but more about how the president and his or one day her administration manages the, um, uh, manages the bureaucracy.
0: Wonderful. So given your background, we just wanted to hear your thoughts on yesterday's inauguration. Obviously, America had a historic day with our 46th president sworn in. Um, What were some of Mm -hmm. your initial reactions to yesterday's proceedings?
2: Well, it was certainly a more hopeful note than uh, the inauguration four years ago. The um, yeah, the tone of the, uh, the speech by Biden was much more positive um, in its orientation. Uh, also, uh, I uh, read somewhere that he mentioned the word democracy more than any other inaugura- inauguration speech in the history of our presidency. Um, And I think that that was a necessary emphasis, given the climate of the, uh, you know, past four years, but especially the past uh, four weeks.
1: And I guess kind of going off of just your feeling about yesterday, do you feel like the pomp and circumstance and kind of grand proceedings fit the national tone? Or is this... Maybe could we say increasing the exclusivity of American politics?
2: No, I think I think it fit the time. I mean, they had to be. I, I, finally, we have an administration that appropriately um, you know, approaches the dangers of the pandemic that we're facing. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it was exclusive in many respects because you know we still need to maintain social distancing. Uh, the military presence was a function of, you know, really the, um, irresponsibility and unaccountability of the last administration, particularly the president himself. Uh, and so I don't believe that people felt that that was unnecessary. I think that the entire nation for the most part was appalled by the actions of the insurrection. Um we've had a couple or or three eventful Wednesdays in a row, right? So first we had the insurrection and then we had the impeachment and then we had the inauguration. So I'm, I'm just holding on for next Wednesday.
0: (laughs) Uh Um, It's interesting to think about just how much the insurrection of two weeks ago um, affected the plans for the inauguration and, um, You know, it required a lot more government resources, I think, than had initially been anticipated. And a lot of downtown D.C. was blocked off to the public, um, which is, of course, inconvenient for normal people in America. Um, What do you think? Do you think a virtual inauguration would have worked? Do you think that would have been safer? required less, you know, military operations?
2: Yeah. um, Yeah, I certainly think it would, of course. Um, But uh, I think that they were trying to send the message as well to say that, you know, this is, uh, there's importance in norms, there's importance in tradition, there's importance in institutions in upholding the integrity of our system. And I think that's the reason that they chose to have it on the traditional grounds of the National Mall and in front of Congress. Um, I think I think at that point they uh, they were trying purposely to send a, a signal to everyone.
1: And I think definitely that makes sense. And I think for the American people, I know for me seeing on the TV yesterday that sense of hope and and normalcy and uh, yeah, I mean I'm really just hope was. Um, was a really good thing to see, especially just given how hard the last year has been. But I mean, just looking back, because I feel like we can learn a lot from history to kind of understand and analyze with context, like how we got to where we are today. Have we ever seen anything like this insurrection in American history? And, um, you know, kind of going off of that, isn't an attempt to impeach Trump because of this? Do you think it's like futile or do you think it's an important precedent?
2: I think that there needs to, you know, I I think uh, the concept of accountability trickles down, right? That uh, when our leaders or elites are held unaccountable for their actions, uh, that uh, those that follow them uh, or just, you know, your everyday um, person in the population um, sees, you know, that hypocrisy. And feels entitled uh, to that lack of accountability as well in their own actions. Um, so right. I think that it's important to hold people accountable for their actions, regardless of the position that they may hold. Um, you know they're one of the fundamental kind of uh, notions of our constitutional democracy is that no man is king. and, and obviously no woman is queen, right? But uh, the idea, that, uh, someone can be, uh, you know, kind of act with impunity is, uh, is really, you know, antithetical to our constitutional democracy, uh, particularly, and I, I, I just want to hold this, you know, clearly, you know, um, I'm, because I'm no originalist, but particularly how our constitutional democracy has evolved over the years. Um, towards towards more equality towards towards yeah. uh, you know um, rights to every individual as opposed to how it started,
0: I think what you just said was really important, uh especially in regards to you know no one man can have all that power and Trump really tried to get away with that for the five years he was in the political spotlight um so, what do you think it says about his presidency, and you know usually he's really um you know he's the television president. there's books about this. He loves the he loves to be um on camera. Why didn't he show up to Biden's inauguration? It, was it too much pride? Was it trying to appeal to his base? Um, what do you think about that?
2: Uh, You know, frankly, I didn't think much of it. Uh, I think, you know, it's a very unique and troubling situation uh, with the ex-president in terms of being in the midst of an impeachment following this, you know, reprehensible insurrection. Uh, You asked me earlier if anything has been kind of, uh, you know, precedent for this historically. I mean, it was the first time ever in the halls of Congress that someone was walking through with a Confederate flag, you know, it's 2021 for God's sake. Um, you know, uh, we as a nation have to be kind of past these archaic notions of white supremacy, generally speaking. And he ushered that in to the very halls of power um explicitly as kind of his you know um policy agenda in many respects and so uh do i care if he was there no i don't um does it, is that, you know uh setting a precedent i don't think so at least i hope not um because i hope the precedent is not that with every election We see the the, um, former president being, you know, essentially exiled, uh, which is what we have now. But again, it's necessary if we're going to hold people of power accountable for their actions.
0: Speaking of, you know, holding other people who enabled Trump. Uh, while he was in office, well, Pence did show up to the inauguration. Do you think he's gonna come out relatively unscathed, or do you think he'll be implicated in the in Trump's impeachment proceeding? Um, like, is do you think he'll be able to save face, especially since he did show up yesterday?
2: I mean, I don't think he'll be implicated in the impeachment hearing because he was actually in the halls of Congress conducting the business of Congress as Trump was encouraging the crowd uh, towards violence. And so um, I certainly don't think he'll be implicated in the impeachment. He will be implicated, I'm sure, in, uh, yeah, as you said, enabling Trump um, over the last four years and particularly his handling of the pandemic. Uh, he was the head of the, quote unquote, coronavirus task force. And, uh, and we've, seen, we've seen the you know, horrible results of the administration's relative inaction or incompetence when addressing that. So, um, you know, I don't think Mike Pence will be remembered fondly by the history books. Uh, to
1: say the least. Um, shifting gears a little bit here, what are our or your thoughts on Lady Gaga and J person JLo, personal favorite for, you know, why were these choices made for performances on the inauguration and who are they benefiting kind of going off that? Who might we have seen perform otherwise? Like, do you think that those choices were I mean, they were intentional, but I, do you think there's, you know, a deeper implication or something we can take out of out of those choices?
2: <laughs> um I'll tell you my wife was excited that uh Jennifer Lopez was performing um I thought that lady gaga looked uh a, a little bit too similar to the uh to the woman who started the hunger games um uh in, in those events so uh yeah, that was a little strange to me, but uh you know she sang beautifully as she usually does um yeah, I I think I think the uh, one bit of symbolism that you could take from it is you know here is, you know our past president a person obsessed with celebrity right and um and and was always frustrated with you know the lack of kind of acceptance from uh, you know other celebrities uh, uh, for his presidency and so. Um, I think it just was a further kind of refutation of trumpism and all things trump uh to have you know such mega stars readily agreeing to be part of the inauguration for the for the biden administration also of course reinforces the the trope that's you know uh of the Hollywood left and the you know um you know celebrity left uh uh, but I, I, you know, uh, where does that resonate, really? I mean, there's a reason these people are popular, right? And so, why would why wouldn't they be, uh, you know, part of these, you know, national festivities?
0: I agree with you that these choices felt like, um, you know, directly talking back to Trump and the lack of support he got, especially at his last inauguration and the RNC. Um, where no one would perform for him or he's continuously being sued for using like the music of, I think, Neil Young. And I don't know. I know John Fogarty is never happy with Trump, but um, <laughs>
2: uh,
0: this is kind of a more creative question, but if Trump had won the election in November, what kind of visuals, what kind of antics do you think we would see for his second inauguration?
2: Oh, my God. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I can speak on the policy side and the administrative side, but I would say, you know, in, in those terms um, that you would see, a, you know, a hyper continuation of this, you know, notion of the what they call the unitary executive. Uh, you know, um, this is a, a apocryphal uh, Um, kind of interpretation of the Constitution that says that the president is the sole person, you know, uh, endowed with the right to or the ability to interpret what is constitutional and what is not in uh, his uh, execution of the laws. And that's uh, that would be a very scary notion to me, um, to have a continuation of that uh, that was ratified by the american people thankfully that was largely rejected so that's all i can probably say about that
0: are you on twitter bill
2: i am i am
0: okay good that's important for our next question but um i was seeing on twitter that some people are really facetiously of course going to miss like the 1992 pornographic aesthetic of the white house while trump has been in office where it's just been like grand ballrooms and like ridiculously like (laughs) poorly lit photographs of his spray tan it's just been such a spectacle the last four years I am excited to see even if it's I don't know some might think it's elitist some taste and fashion come back to the White House but um I wanted to know what kind of memes were popping on your timeline yesterday on Twitter. I was getting a lot of Bernie sitting in different places.
2: Yeah, I got a lot of that as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, It seemed, I mean, I will say this, it's been a much more positive experience to be on Twitter uh, the past uh, few weeks than uh, with with the exception of course of that, uh, of the insurrection, but uh, it's been a much better place since Trump has left, frankly, um, because uh, the tones are uh, and the tone is just a, a bit more positive, I would say, across the board um, and kind of more of the virulent kind of ugly speech has been kind of eliminated uh, in in large part, uh, which I mean, from from Twitter, of course. It, right. it, exists, it exists somewhere, but I, I'm not. I'm not in those portals.
1: So before we uh, before we wrap up, just you know, looking forward, what are you hoping to see or expecting to see the Biden administration, um, you know, accomplish? What do you think they will be able to accomplish, um, you know, in maybe even just in in the near in the near future?
2: Well, I mean, I'm uh, I'm hopeful that they'll be uh, able to work with Congress, frankly. I'm I'm hopeful that uh the Biden administration will be more respectful and I, I, I I'm I am i am quite positive of this, but that they'll be more respectful of the norms of our of our separation of power system. However, um you know what executivism is a kind of term that I use, uh, executivism, I say is a, is a hell of a drug, right? Uh, like once you have the executive office, it's very easy for one to kind of be enamored by some of the tools that the president can use and in some respects abuse, such as, you know, uni- using unilateral fiat. Uh, by that, I mean things like executive orders, uh, to determine, Kind of policy. Uh, these things are, are kind of fleeting, right? So we saw how many executive orders Trump overturned from the Obama administration. And now we're seeing how, uh, you know, how the Biden administration is overturning much of what the Trump administration did through executive order. Um, I think what's necessary if you want lasting and consistent policy. That you need really to work with Congress, and on that note, I'm hopeful that Congress will reestablish its institutional competence. Um, you know, in the 1970s, you had about half of the Senate's you know staff dedicated purely to policy. Uh, now they're dedicated almost purely to constituent outreach, meaning that they're losing policy capacity within the legislature comparative to the executive branch. And I think that the um, that Congress really needs to steel itself and, and understand uh, its constitutional role in making the laws and the president in executing them as opposed to making uh, most policy for the United States.
0: I'm thinking about now that uh, the Democrats have control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. Um, where do you think our country is left in terms of political division? And what can we do to avoid, you know, a 2024 that's just as disastrous, if not more disastrous, than 2016?
2: Well, I mean, uh, I think that. Political division is, uh, you know, we're we're kind of, it's endemic uh, to our political culture. Um, You know, we have a majoritarian democracy, which means like the, you know, the majority takes all, right? Uh, If you get that 50.0001% of the vote, then it's your day in the office, right? Or your, your, your term. And uh, and in doing so, that means that with our primary system, we tend to, as politicians, we um, or our political class tends to cater to the base, that is the people that are actually going to show up to the primary. So, you know, we need, um, you know, a broad kind of, you know, uh, introspection of our country in terms of how informed our populace really is our electorate really is and revisit the notion of civics education re revisit the notion of what constitutes public service and uh and try to instill those types of norms uh back into the population generally how we do that i don't know uh you know opening up avenues to voluntary service would help um giving people opportunities to work uh, in the public sphere, uh, encouraging our youth uh, to be more involved in the public sphere. All of these things could help. Uh, but ultimately, our institutions are going to have to take responsibility. And, uh, you know, uh, the way the way our electoral system is structured, the way our election laws are structured, particularly the campaign finance laws, uh, just really don't lend themselves to anything but uh, partisan division. And I'm hopeful that that will change. But in the meantime, one thing that could change is the relative balance. And so, if one party, you know, the coalition that it put together starts to break up, um, and uh, then that party, that second party, will become even further marginalized until it moves back to the median voter or back to the middle, so to speak. And so uh, it might be uh, a reckoning for the Republican Party at this point, it seems more likely than the Democratic Party, but it could be either party that, that has a reckoning soon. And, uh, and with that, you know, I think we're, we're set for a new kind of political regime uh, from the one that we've had for the last 40 years that really started with Reagan um, I think really ended uh, with the Trump administration and, uh, you know, Biden and Harris have an opportunity to start a new kind of uh, political regime, so to speak. Um, doesn't mean that there will always be a Democratic president over the next 40 years, just as there wasn't a Republican president over the last 40 years. But the general ideology that they represent, I think, uh, may become dominant for a couple decades from
1: now, and I, I totally agree. And I think that the uh, just this idea that we keep sort kept circling back to over the past 20 minutes of accountability and responsibility is huge, and will hopefully you know play a huge role um, in the White House over the next four years and beyond. Um, just finishing up, Bill. Thank you so much for for being with us, joining us this morning.
0: Yes, you are our first guest on this season, and our first guest as co-producers so thank you so much
2: oh, well i i love i love the uh, l and ella that's great and uh and and also uh, you guys have been just great um thank you for having me and I'm, and and i'm happy to to be the first guest so i'm i'm honored
1: before you sign off we are planning to ask this question um to each of our guests each week is you know we're Elle's 21 I'm 20 um, and so we would like to ask you, if you could go back to your early 20s, what is one thing you would do
2: differently or one thing you would tell yourself? Ooh, wow. Okay. All right. So um, if I could go back to my early 20s, I guess I would tell myself, you know, to keep an open perspective, to know that, uh, you know, that there is so little that, you know, at this point. Uh, but you know, just the same, always keep that kind of uh, uh, humility. You know, I'm much older than 21 now, and the most important thing that I do know is how little I know about things in life. And so if you just strive to learn, uh, you'll, you know, you'll maintain a good, good path, I think. So with that, uh, you know, I've had moments where, you know, especially when I was younger, that I had that hubris of, oh, I I know things, I, I you know, I don't need to know this, right? Um, that was a mistake, and so I'm glad that I learned that lesson pretty early. But uh, at about 20 or 21, I would have been telling myself that uh, if I could.
0: Excellent answer, Bill. Very good to consider. Um, before we let you go, do you have anything that you want to plug? Uh, your social media, your classes, um, anything like that?
2: Oh yes, yeah. so, uh, so I'm really excited about the Clear Initiative. So if you're interested in uh how that how things will develop there, you can visit us at priceschool.usc.edu slash clear. That's C L E A R. Uh, Also, you can find me on Twitter, at Bill Resch, B-I-L-L-R-E-S-H. And um, to anybody else that might be listening to this, we have a wonderful policy school at USC. Uh, Please consider it. It's uh, uh, the number two policy school in the country, and we're very proud of that, but we're trying to become number one. That takes getting the best students, so please consider us and reach out if you have any questions.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Bill. Have a great rest of your day. And yeah, maybe we'll have you back on the pod next season.
1: Yeah.
2: You're more than welcome to reach out. I'm I'm happy to help. And uh, it was a pleasure to meet you both.
1: Elle, I don't know about you, but I feel very inspired and just, you know, hopeful and Excited to see what the next four years brings after that conversation.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to get, like, a uh, expert opinion on politics. I find myself being, you know, exceedingly skeptical when it comes to bipartisan politics. But, yeah, we'll see what um old Joe can do. <laughs>
1: exactly. Well, guys, that's it for this week's episode.
0: Be sure to find
1: our podcast. We're posting
0: every Friday um so you'll want to tune in and
1: follow us on our instagram it's at match volume this show is a production of Annenberg Media and is co-produced by myself and Elle Davidson for Annenberg Media at the University of Southern California I'm Ella Katz and I'm Elle
0: Davidson see you next week